This is an RMAC Network podcast brought to you by RMAC Network. American Freedom with your host, RMAC. Today, RMAC will be speaking about 9 11 and some other good stuff. Coming up is your host, RMAC. My pillow. My pillow towels are on sale. Um, sets. The towel sets are regular, one hundred nine dollars. Now only is thirty nine ninety nine. Promo code use FS twenty three, or go to mypillow.com and promo code FS twenty three. Cool. And order your um, my pillow towel by calling 800-544-8939. or you can go to or you can get many other stuff like a my pillow or even my a weighted blanket or a throw on blanket anything go to mypillow.com and use promo code FS23 or even call 800 800- Five four four, eighty nine thirty nine. My pillow is the greatest company. Welcome everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Um, first of all, my condolences go out to our condolences go out to the um a dear a dear um community member, founder of the Jewish community, um, to the Hearth family, who, uh, lost a family member, a father, a son, a brother, and a community member who, uh, lost, who passed away yesterday, that's why we, um, didn't do our podcast, we didn't put it up on Sunday, um, and one of the reasons, but we were busy yesterday also, um, so, yes, um, alright, I said that we're going to do more in depth of, um, Biden's speech on the vaccine. So, I have a small clip of the vaccine's um, speech. And if you missed the last um, podcast, the last podcast that we did was... Let me see. When did Biden speak? Let's see. Um, September 9th was the last one. So Biden spoke September 9th. And today is September 13th. Not that long ago for Biden to speak. Not that bad. So, here's Biden speaking. Now, 
I'll play this two minute and thirty two second um, speech, and then we'll go more in depth of uh, of stuff um, how we're going to be handling this stuff. Here we go. Flexible schedules, rewarding work. Increase vaccinations among the unvaccinated with new vaccination requirements. With nearly 80 million eligible Americans who have not gotten vaccinated, many said they were waiting for approval from the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. Well, last month, the FDA granted that approval. So, the time for waiting is over. This summer, we made progress through the combination of vaccine requirements and incentives, as well as the FDA approval. Four million more people got their first shot in August than they did in July. But we need to do more. This is not about freedom or personal choice. It's about protecting yourself and those around you. The people you work with, the people you care about, the people you love. My job as president is to protect all Americans. So tonight, I'm announcing that the Department of Labor is developing an emergency rule to require all employers with 100 or more employees that together employ over 80 million workers to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a week. Some of the biggest companies are already requiring this. United Airlines, Disney, Tyson's Food, and even Fox News. The reason why he says Fox News, and I want to get into this now, we're going to um, close, let's um, shut that um, sound off, um, please. Thank you. Um, the reason why he says Fox News, because he, um, he watches Fox News. He doesn't watch Newsmax at all. He likes Tyson Foods. He likes um, all these companies. But it's a teleprompter. It's a teleprompter. And it's a huge flip-flop. He's talking... He's, he, Biden is basically um, tough-talking Biden. He thinks he can order, but he cannot. Here, listen to... 80 million workers. Listen to Greg, Greg Kelly. To ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a week. I happen to be vaccinated. Larry El Greg Kelly says he happens to be vaccinated. Um, and... Enjoy our tasty snack. Give me a minute. Happen to be vaccinated because it was my choice, all right? And it's your choice as well. Joe Biden doesn't get to tell me or you what to do with our bodies. I think we agree. And guess what? A lot of lawyers do as well. More on that in a moment. Next up. I will sign an executive order 
that will now require all executive branch federal employees to be vaccinated. All. And I've signed another executive order that will require federal contractors to do the same. If you want to work with the federal government and do business with us, get vaccinated. So that's about 4 million people in addition to the 80 million people he thinks he can boss around. My message to unvaccinated Americans is this. What more is there to wait for? What more do you need to see? We've made vaccinations free, safe, and convenient. The vaccine is FDA approval. Over 200 million Americans have gotten at least one shot. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. He lost a war last week, and his patience is wearing thin. His patience is wearing thin. Yes, just last week, the scenes from Afghanistan. They are desperately trying to change the subject. And you know what? It seems to be working. It seems to be working. Even though we still have Americans there right now, can't get them out. We are powerless, it seems, to do so. And speaking of uh, unvaccinated people, Joe, all these folks coming in, totally unvetted, many of them, that's a problem. Maybe you should start focusing on that. I know you should start focusing on that, but... Look, like so many liberals, he's hung up on power, he's hung up on virtue signaling, and boy, oh boy, COVID, as they said during the campaign, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to Joe Biden. The greatest gift ever was COVID, according to a senior communications advisor of his during the campaign, a woman named Anita Dunn. All right, but the good news is, as we look at this, it's against the Constitution. Joe Biden cannot mandate this. He can't. He wants to. He wants to pretend. They can't force us. They can't. Again, I elected to. You know something? In a strange way, Kamala Harris and I might have something in common on this. This is what she Uh-oh. That sounds weird. She said uh, during the campaign. If the doctors tell us that we should take it, I'll be the first in line to take it. Absolutely. But if Donald Trump tells us I should t- that we should take it, I'm not taking it. So here's the deal. Kamala Harris doesn't have to take it for any reason she wants, whether she's concerned about something a doctor said or she didn't like Donald Trump, whatever. She was a federal employee back then. I guess she would have refused the vaccine. huh? Um, you can refuse this vaccine for whatever reason you want, and you can take it for the reasons that we all know. That is Kamala Harris's choice, huh? Remember, my body, my choice. Body, her choice. My body, my choice. Her body, her choice. My body, my choice. My body, my choice. Rallying cry for the left when they're talking about abortion. But you know what? Maybe that should be the uh, rallying cry of uh, folks who are reluctant to take this vaccine. Um, this is a great question for the administration, by the way. What about my body, my choice? All right. Thanks, everyone. What happened to my body, my choice when it comes to vaccinations in the Biden administration? And in 2020, President-elect Biden said he would not demand vaccine mandates. Just ran away. It's true. That was Emerald Robinson, our White House correspondent. And Joe Biden, as a candidate, said he would not mandate the vaccine. 
No, I don't think it should be mandatory. I wouldn't demand to be mandatory. Not long ago, December of 20, hmm? won't be mandatory. What happened? Afghanistan happened. Afghanistan happened. He lost a war, and he wants us to forget about it. Not happening. And oh, by the way, regarding Afghanistan, the Chinese seem to be moving in very, very fast. You just watched. Pretty bad. You know who's uh, taking uh, taking uh, charge? Well, listen to Ben Shapiro. He's um, not complying. Complying to. Um, this amount of money as Larry. A lot of American businesses are trying to figure out, okay, I've got more than a hundred employees. What am I going to do? Am I going to require the, the vaccine? Let's talk to one business guy. Ben Shapiro is the host of the Ben Shapiro show. He's also the editor emeritus of the daily wire. Ben, uh, your company's got over 100 employees, so what are you going to do? Are you going to listen to the president? Everybody, everybody going to roll up their sleeves, or are you going to take a different approach? Uh, of course not. We're going to use every method and, uh, and resource at our disposal to defy the president's unconstitutional order. And this is coming from somebody who's a very pro-vaccine. I was vaccinated as soon as possible. I've encouraged yeah. everybody to get the vaccine, or pretty much everybody to get the vaccine. And the notion that the federal government has the ability to force every business in America with over 100 employees. By the way, I'm not sure why it's over 100 employees. Theoretically, it should be every business in America. You can get infected anywhere. Right. But but every business in America with over 100 employees to either force its employees to vaccinate or force them to test every week or fire them, presumably. Mm -hmm. He he said he he came into office saying, I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm going to shut down the virus. He failed to shut down the virus, so now he's going to shut down the economy in the country, apparently. Well, Ben, uh, they say that he says, Joe Biden, businesses who refuse will be fined $14,000 per violation. Your CEO said that you will, you will use legal action to resist in a tweet. Are you prepared for this? Uh, we are. I mean, we are, we are staffing up right now on the legal side. We are already getting any lawsuit ready that needs to be gotten ready. We have to see the actual regulations, know the details of that lawsuit. What we can tell you is that the provisions that Joe Biden is going to be citing under OSHA are wildly overbroad. And frankly, I think that he's made a huge tactical legal blunder here. I think there's every possibility that something like this goes to the Supreme Court level. And suddenly we see a complete rewriting of the administrative state because Joe Biden couldn't get his act in in order. And so he decided to issue a a tyrannical and authoritarian order here. Also, you had an interesting tweet, uh, which is getting a lot of news, when you said maybe if he found, if we we tell Joe Biden that the Taliban isn't vaccinated, he'll get just as mad at them. Does it astound you in all seriousness that his anger is, is, look, is, is focused on the unvaccinated in America, as small a percentage as that is, and not on the terrorist regime that has taken over a country and the embarrassment that he's caused uh, our nation? We're not even a year into this presidency, and this is a failed president on every level, and so he's attempting to redirect all of the ire at his presidency at your fellow Americans. You're supposed to be angry at your neighbor for unvaccinating if you're vaccinated, even though Joe Biden himself yesterday said that your unvaccinated neighbor effectively poses no threat to you. Instead, Joe Biden wants you to be angry at that neighbor as opposed to him. Here's the reality. If you don't like lockdowns, if you don't like mandates, look at the person who's attempting to issue the lockdown and the mandates, the person who's attempting to control American business top-down, who's attempting to control every school in America, top-down. Maybe you should direct your ire at that person, not the person living next door. Uh, speaking of next door, you still live in California. You have since moved uh, to a, uh, a freer state than that, a lower tax. 
Let's look at California. Meanwhile, California recall election is tomorrow. Um, Larry Elder is on the agenda. Here's the latest recall election for Tuesday. Let's go to MSNBC. Now to the effort to recall California's Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom. Tomorrow is Election Day. People outside California might wonder how a conservative libertarian like Larry Elder is challenging a Democratic governor like Gavin Newsom in a blue state. A recall election in California is different from a typical gubernatorial election, given its two-question approach. The recall mechanism in California has been in place for over 150 years to allow sort of democratic accountability. There are two questions on the ballot. Item one, should Gavin Newsom be recalled? And if a majority of Californians agree, then he is recalled. The second question becomes, who should replace him? This means that Gavin Newsom must receive at least 51% of the vote to remain governor. But someone like Larry Elder, the GOP frontrunner, only needs to receive 15% of the vote to be elected. How some voters feel about the recall depends on whom they support. The recall approach is it's simple, and that's the way voting should be. Do you want Newsom out, and who do you want to go into his place? He could lose with 49% of the vote, and somebody else could win with less than 20, and it's outrageous. I hope that we recall the recall after this. This is the sixth recall attempt against the governor since he came into office. I think it goes to show this is more about, you know, partisan power grab. Uh, and Republicans realize this is the only way they can win statewide in California. At a campaign rally in support of the governor in San Leandro on Wednesday, Vice President Kamala Harris delivered a warning about how this recall fits into the national Republican agenda. They're thinking that if they can get this done in California, they can go around the country and do this. I think Larry Elder and people that represent the same values are going to be in the ballot in midterm elections all over the country. But at a campaign rally in Bakersfield on Thursday, Elder rebuffed claims that this election is about a Republican takeover. Crime doesn't have a party. Homelessness doesn't have a party. The rise of the cost of living doesn't have a party. Poor forest management doesn't have a party. Rolling brownouts doesn't have a party. And they're talking about this being a Republican takeover. It is insulting to all of us who signed that petition. Elder said Californians across the political spectrum are frustrated with Newsom. But Taylor says... Republicans have seen a vulnerability and a way in a blue state that they have no chance ever again of winning outright. A recent UC Berkeley IGS poll shows Newsom faring better than Larry Elder in the September 14th election with about 60% of sampled voters indicating they would vote to keep him in office. Ballots already returned show a higher Democrat turnout, according to Political Data Inc., which could be due to Republican concerns over mail-in voting. I don't believe in the mail-out, all the mail-out ballots. I believe we should have still had uh, in-person balloting, and I have a feeling that there is going to be cheating again. Speaking to reporters after voting for himself in Los Angeles County, Larry Elder raised the baseless possibility that there could be shenanigans, as it were in the 2020 election. On his campaign website, a link to report election incidents, suggesting the results need to be investigated, despite there being one yet. And so you have this reiteration of this claim that um, there's an illegitimacy in the election. Larry Elder could potentially fill key political seats as governor, ones that would shake the balance of power in Washington. What kind of judges would Larry Elder appoint as governor of California? 
Who would he appointed 10 months ago to replace Kamala Harris when she became vice president? What would that have done in Washington, D.C. today? So there's a lot at stake here. If Larry Elder becomes governor, Dianne Feinstein is replaced by a conservative or art conservative Republican representing California. Californians have until September 14th to vote. Court and Rick, this has been an extremely contentious race. In the beginning, the governor struggling to hold on to support, but as of Friday, he's gaining about 60% of his no vote. He will defeat this Republican-backed recall on Tuesday. From the Newsom campaign to the talk show radio host, Larry Elders. He is the better candidate. He is the better man. The campaign trail coming to an end. Candidates taking last-minute jabs and asking for Californians vote. This man, Gavin Newsom, has been able to switch this thing from a referendum on his behavior, his governance, into a, quote, Republican takeover. As if that has anything to do with crime. As if that has anything to do with homelessness. As if that has anything to do with the outrageous cost of living. Then this, the elder campaign calling it a bombshell. Rose McGowan, former actress, now activist, says prior to coming forward that Harvey Weinstein allegedly raped her, that the first lady, Newsom's wife, called her and asked her to be silent. McGowan now campaigning alongside Elder, asking for your support. Take away the Republican word. Take away the Democrat word, okay? Who do you want to govern you? Elder is furious, saying this and many other stories haven't been recognized by the mainstream media because he's a Republican candidate. That's all you guys would be talking about if the allegation were made about me or my significant other. Meanwhile, when asked today, Newsom denies McGowan's claims. Uh, those allegations are outrageous and false and says everything you need to know about his campaign. Rallying down to the wire in Sun Valley, Newsom, speaking to a crowd of supporters, says he's the man for the job and to vote no on Tuesday. All you have to do is, you know, go to your mailbox, just vote no and go. Don't even consider the other 46 choices. Um, Larry Elder is extreme, even by extreme standards. Hitting the campaign trail in the final day, President Biden will be alongside Governor Newsom here in Southern California. Live in. Well, I think Gary, Larry, yeah, Gary, Larry Elder has a strong chance um, there, but there might be iffy stuff. All right. Meanwhile, let's go to this news about a nine-year-old. Um, was forced to wear a mask. Listen to this. She spoke to us under the condition that the mom of a local nine-year-old boy is demanding his substitute teacher be fired after she says that a teacher taped a face mask to her son's face when he did not wear it properly in the classroom. She spoke to us under the condition that we not use her name or show her face, worried her son could be further traumatized at school, but wanting other parents to know what is happening in one fourth-grade classroom. I, I was furious, furious. I was, I was scared for my son on what kind of like long-term effect it's going to have on him socially. Uh, the fact that the entire class was laughing. This mom of a fourth grade student at Reedham Elementary in Mountain's Edge says his substitute teacher stepped way over the line 
when the nine-year-old failed to properly wear his mask in class. He went to get a sip of water, forgot to put the mask on. Teacher then did not tell him to put it back on or send him to the office. She instead pulled him up in the front of the classroom in front of all of the students, and she then taped the mask across the top of his face. The mom says the sub added a second layer of tape from his nose to his forehead, and with tape still on his face, he went to the office to pick up homework he'd forgotten at home and his dad dropped off. When he went to the office to pick up that homework is when one of the administrators noticed the tape on his face. Alarmed, that administrator took the tape off of the child and alerted the principal who went to the classroom to investigate, filling out this report. And she saw another student, who she thought was my son, with tape on their face as well. This mom later asked her son had other students also had their masks taped to their face. He said yes. It's been happening in his classroom since the beginning of the school year. He says that he remembers up to five. This mom says it is not a political issue. She has no problem with the mask mandate, but says nine-year-olds like her son are often forgetful and should never be punished, purposefully embarrassed in this way. He was very upset. He was crying. He was humiliated. Fox 5 questioned the school district about this incident. They responded, quote, the district is aware of the isolated incident and is dealing with the employee through the proper channels. The principal proactively notified the family of the investigation. But that's not good enough for this mom. I don't think this woman has any business teaching children, for one. Number two, I think parents need to know what's going on in the classrooms. It's, it's crazy. Um, corporal punishment in school should not be happening. And the mom also filed a police report about the teacher putting her hands on the student. She's also now looking at changing schools or possibly moving to a charter school. Oh, that's fine. Oh. With Pluto TV, you get hundreds of channels. All right, meanwhile, listen to this. A student erases BLM off a whiteboard. Rights all lives matter. Listen to this. Right here saying, oh, yeah, like, oh, white lives matter. Nothing has happened to them. Nothing bad has happened. Nothing bad has happened no, to a white you? person? Oh, ever? Okay, hey, we're not talking about that. I'm just saying straight up. Were you asleep? No, who sold who into slavery? Did you know African Americans sold African Americans into slavery? This is why we need to step up for critical race theory. So, I'd encourage you to go check with your history teacher and get that all set. There's a reason why they say this. They're a bunch of nutheads. So you can learn history. Wow. Wow. 
CRTs taking over our schools. It's really stupid. All right, let's speak about New Jersey before we go into um, 9-11. We are going to take 9-11. We're going to have 9-11 memorials today. Um, New Jersey exemption for masking in schools raises a lot of questions here. 75 degrees. It's really low. And no one's been able to point us to exactly where that numbers come from. If there's 75 degrees, it's really low. And no one's been able to point us to exactly where that numbers come from. If there's science that, you know, mask wearing becomes um, inhibitive at that temperature. So how hot is too hot? That's the question facing school districts this week that have the option under Governor Murphy's executive order to make masks optional in times of extreme heat. And for some, like New Providence, 75 was the number. The district sent out an email stating that due to the forecast, you know, masks would be optional uh, for quote-unquote extreme heat. Um, and that's concerning. People are coming back from holidays. There's no quarantine in place for anyone traveling outside the state. In Tom's River, some parents, including Tina Peterson, have been angry about the governor's mask mandate. So when the district sent an email on Friday saying masks would be optional. Many parents started their Labor Day weekend super um, excited, you know, felt that the email was very fair. But because some schools have air conditioning and some don't, the district clarified the guidance this week. On Monday, there were a few schools in the district that did... Um, either an email or a robocall stating that masks are mandatory because there was air conditioning in the building. So out of the many elementary, middle school, and high schools that our district has, many parents were confused. They didn't really know what to, to do to send their kid with without. The guidance from the governor's office doesn't specify a temperature, and so for the next few weeks while it's warm out, he's leaving it to the districts to decide, although he cautions. They'll play games with us. Don't, don't use that as the excuse because you don't want you, you got people who don't want us to, to be wearing masks that, that that is not part of the program here these masks are mandated but healthcare professionals say mask options could be a recipe for disaster what we know from the CDC recommendations is that universal masking is what is recommended so that is despite vaccination status there is no caveat for temperature but we know that having staff and students all masked um, inside, especially, is going to be really critical for us ending this pandemic. Temperatures in the 80s uh, do not um, do not exempt us from that. The coronavirus certainly doesn't follow temperature rules, and it's going to continue to be infectious um, regardless of, of uh, temperatures in the 80s. The percent positivity rate among kids has been rising over the last two months, going from around 1% at the beginning of July to nearly 8% in the last week, while roughly 46% of kids between 12 and 17 are now fully vaccinated. Hospitalization rates are low in this population, currently about a dozen kids across the state, but Wong cautions. What we've learned during this entire pandemic is that there is a lag, right? We often don't see um, the hospitalizations and the death at the same time that the cases are going up. Health Commissioner Judy Persichilli is urging districts to layer their mitigation strategies when the masks come off. Wash your hands frequently, physically distance, um, definitely stay home if you're sick. Uh, open the windows, keep ventilation up in a classroom, move classes outside. But in New Providence, Gunderman says they're now in like little cohorts of four desks facing each other. And if masks are now optional and they're facing someone for eight hours and there's no barriers, 
this doesn't seem like a successful recipe to keep our kids in school. We didn't hear back from the district to confirm, but Gunderman has started a petition to get the masks back on while Peterson is pleading to let them stay off. I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. It's a it's a real mess, and in our school where I go to, we do not require masks, but it is mandated. But with my fight, I actually do not re- we do not require it, but it is required for certain um let's say for work vocational jobs it is required, but in the actual building, it's not required. It's really stupid. It's really stupid. Especially on a hot day. It's really stupid. Yeah. The mask situation has been, um, let's say, a a really bad recipe for over many years, many months, and it's crazy. And we all know that it was a, a bad recipe. And we, um, and we need these bad recipes to be gone. Just take it off and say you don't wear it. In front of the teacher. Or even whoever. That's what I do. That's what I do. I say I don't wear a mask. And they're fine with it. I didn't wear a mask at all today. All right, Governor Hulk, Governor Hoko, um, backs congestion pricing. New Jersey official seeks to fix that. Elected officials in New Jersey have been lobbying against a proposed surtax on New Jersey commuters who travel into Manhattan during rush hour. They say commuters can't afford to pay any more under a so-called congestion pricing plan. But now, that plan has a key supporter, as New York Governor Kathy Hochul says she's in favor of it. New York wants to use revenue from the tax to pay for subway improvements. Federal officials have allowed the plan for congestion pricing to move forward, although there are several key steps between now and final approval. Governor Murphy and others are pressing for more cooperation between the states on commuting costs. Within Delaware. All right, listen to this. Trump says he will make a decision. The meeting of the minds. Very soon with gut fail. We are now into part three of the greatest presidential interview in the history of presidential interviews. <laughs> That's 
not funny. <laughs> Warning, this interview is so powerful, it may change forever the way you look at the world, and especially me. <laughs> but before we do that... Greg Seven Jokes. I envision, like, Greg Brady playing the uh, organ to, in that. It's only called a six-steer-to-sniff. <laughs> you see the connection. Meanwhile... So, Gutfeld spoke to Trump, and he said this. We got Rick Harrison from Palm Stop, Pawn Star. Ben. Gutfeld Industries in conjunction. Our first ever one on one sit down with the man himself. Okay, he sat and I stood, but you, could, you can hardly tell the difference. It's true, I headed down to Bedminster, New Jersey to interview the former president, and our conversations covered many topics from Afghanistan to the economy, but mostly we focused on me <laughs> and how I'm making late night TV great again. Yes! The interview spanned far and wide, and much like Pat applying her hair extensions, I want to use every single piece of it. But first... Greg... Yes. A trial date. Oh. Fabulous. I just... And that's your seven jokes. All right. And now, part one with Donald Trump. Great to see you, Mr. President. Thank you very much, Greg. Thank you for having me. Uh, the most important question I have to ask you is, how about my ratings? Your ratings are fabulous. I just saw you're now the king of late night. Yes. I mean, you're beating some very untalented people, to yeah. be honest with you. So I'm not so sure how great that is. But they are so bad. And it's about time somebody came in and you're really beating them badly great. I feel kind of guilty about it because I feel like I'm beating up unarmed people. Well, they're not very talented. You are. So congratulations. I, I, I'm mildly talented. They're just untalented. And, well, and you're very different. Yes, I am very different. Speaking of, do you remember how much I hated you for that brief period of time? There was a period of time when you weren't a fan, and then you started noticing that things were getting done. Yes. And you said, you know, I may not like them, but look, we have a good economy, we have good military, we have good everything. Right. And then you started, and now I think, I don't know if it's love, but it's getting close, and it's, we like it. It's, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's love, but it, I would say it's admiration. Well, thank you. And, and also admitting that I was wrong because I was focusing on words and not deeds. And now we're at a time where, okay, there are no more mean tweets, and we have a really nice president, and the country is in the crapper. So who would you rather have? Well, I don't know that he's a nice president. I'm not sure about that. But yeah. I can tell you the country has never been more unsafe. We have yeah. people pouring in through our southern border, which... You can listen to Gutfeld on Fox News. Meanwhile... The U.S. and Chinese president have pledged to work more closely to avoid conflict. Presidents Joe Biden and Xi Jinping spoke by phone this morning for the second time since Biden took office. 
According to the White House, they discussed a range of issues, including, quote, peace, stability and prosperity in the Indo-Pacific. They both agreed they must avoid letting competition between the world's two largest economies veer into conflict. Chinese state media report President Xi agreed to work with the US on climate change and maintain more frequent contact. Doesn't sound too good, right? Yeah, doesn't sound too well. Um, meanwhile. All right, let's get to, before we get to our uh, 9-11 stuff, let's get to our, oh, this is part of our September 11th, actually. Yes, this is part of our 9-11 stuff. All right, let's go to Rumble first, and then get to our, um... Our normal stuff. Here we go. Listen to Donald Trump. Here we go. For the great people of our country, this is a very sad day. September 11th represents great sorrow for our country. Many things were displayed that day, including, most importantly, the bravery of our police, fire, and first responders of every kind. The job they did was truly unbelievable. We love them and we thank them. It is also a sad time for the way our war on those that did such harm to our country ended last week. The loss of 13 great warriors and the many more who were wounded should never have happened. Overall, 250 people were killed in Afghanistan last week and so many more were seriously injured. We had $85 billion of the finest and most sophisticated military equipment taken from us without even a shot being fired. The leader of our country was made to look like a fool, and that can never be allowed to happen. It was caused by bad planning, incredible weakness, and leaders who truly didn't understand what was happening. This is the 20th year of this war, and should have been a year of victory and honor and strength. Instead, Joe Biden and his inept administration surrendered in defeat. We will live on, but sadly, our country will be wounded for a long period of time. We will struggle to recover from the embarrassment this incompetence has caused. Do not fear, however, America will be made great again. Sounds great. It is great. Love the man. I love that man. Man, oh man. Do we miss him? Yes, we do. We love that man. We love him. All right. Next, we continue our 9-11 before we continue the 
um, the advisory, updated advisory list uh, for the boil water advisory um, announcement. Uh, the update is the latest is uh, there still is a um, distribution for water bottled water at the locations go to PasakeValleyWater.com Passaic Water Valley pvwc.com dashed um, boil water advisory. Um, the latest on the boil water advisory for t- for the for today. Um, water delivered. By the Pasig Valley water may not be safe to drink. So today, that was from today. Um, please continue to do that. Do your advisory from Pasig to Clifton to Patterson. The update is Patterson residents posted on the Patterson supermarket, super supermarket, thirty Main Street. Patterson will be distributing water um, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. That's the update. And so that's the update. On this latest stuff. We are still not really sure. When is this boil water advisory going to stop? Um, once again, Clifton is 85 3rd Street. The Clifton Skate Zone. 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. Um, is distribution 276 Broadway and 330 Passaic Street. 276 Broadway is 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. 330 Passaic Street is daily and 122 8th Street is daily. 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. is Passaic. Um, in Patterson is Eastside Park at the Pavilion Eastside High School, 150 Park. Um, Kennedy High School, 61-127 Preakness F. 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. daily. Um, that's the latest on the Sake Valley Water Commission. Um, and... Man, oh man. All right, next, 20 years ago was the latest, was this.
America is under attack. America heard the news as it was going to work, going to school, or just waking up. An airplane is reportedly has crashed into the World Trade Center. That is a live shot. 17 minutes after the first plane hit the World Trade Center's North Tower, a second plane hit the South Tower. Oh my God. President Bush was in Florida visiting an elementary school. His chief of staff leaned over and whispered, America is under attack. A third plane crashed into the Pentagon. A fourth plane appeared to be heading to Washington, but it crashed in Pennsylvania after passengers and crew tried to regain control from the hijackers. By then, the FAA had taken an unprecedented step. Every airline in U.S. airspace was ordered to land at the nearest airport. Three days later, President Bush went to ground zero. What became known as the global war on terrorism was about to begin. I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. So, as you heard President Bush that time, um, that we just played, um, I was watching a 9-11, the 9-11, uh, um, quote-unquote movie, I don't know if it's a movie, but a documentary that Newsmax was shown on Saturday night. I was watching this Saturday night, um, movie, uh, that's documentary, and I saw that, I was like, um, uh, it was, it was a remarkable, um, Documentary. I don't know if they have it on the app, but it's remarkable. It's an actual remarkable um, documentary. So I recommend everybody to um, watch the documentary because it's a very good documentary and you should go ahead and watch it. Um, because the, the stuff that you just heard that Bush said all these firefighters were tired, depressed, and very, very out of it after days and days of work. And then President Bush comes and says those words, and then they're like, wow, time for, and they have so much, they got their energy back. And then the next month um, after, he throws the first pitch at the World Series of the Yankees game. And the world goes crazy. But we still have sadness. What do I mean by sadness? You'll hear in a minute. You'll hear in a few minutes. Um, but first, let's listen to Donald Trump. And then we'll hear Biden speak. Because the reason why I wanted to play Trump um, at his version, because um, Trump spoke and he said, he went to 
um, the actual ground zero. And he went to the FDNY um, building near 9-11 area. And he spoke. It seems very good. It seems very fun. So here's Newsmax seeking to Trump. They're incredible people. They could solve the crime in New York City immediately if they were allowed to, but they're not being allowed to. Uh, we love them. Uh, what happened over the last week is a disgrace in Afghanistan, and they're embarrassed, and I'm embarrassed, and the world is embarrassed, and Biden should have never allowed that to happen, ever. Taking the military out first was so horrible and so ridiculous, and uh, it's just, it, I think it makes this day much tougher than it would have been. Are we safer now? What do we look like on the, on the world stage today, in your opinion? I think we look terrible on the world stage, and I think we're much less safe because of what took place over the last two weeks. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. President. Again, you just heard uh, President Trump there uh, wrapping up remarks here at the 51st Precinct here in uh, Manhattan, Midtown East Manhattan. Again, uh, warm reception, a welcome reception there by first responders and so many uh, men and women in blue right now. And you can see a heavy security presence all around him. You can see one of the ladders here as well. Um, the engine company as well. This is a big day for them, obviously, the president making its way to visit on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, those terror attacks, something we remember today as those names were read in lower Manhattan today at the 9-11 memorial. Uh, we know this, that there were more than 400 first responders that lost their lives on 9-11 2001. That is the largest loss of life for first responders in U.S. history, and that's why 45 made it a point to stop by one of the precincts here, again in Midtown East, as he makes his way out. He did stop to take photos. You can tell he's on a busy schedule. Listen to that. Uh, that's the cheers that you've heard. That's the unification that you've wanted to see. That's the unification that you've wanted to feel. And, and I don't know where you would go, but I'll tell you this. If you're outside this precinct right now, you feel nothing but love, honor, respect, dignity, and above all, pride. Uh, you, you, you feel what it's like to, to, to be a proud American today. Uh, when the president walked out, you knew it. Now, every one of these uh, men and women surrounded him. They got pictures with him. They talked with him. He was very candid. Um, and it was interesting enough to note here, specifically for Newsmax, uh, I know you can't see behind me, but the entire street is barricaded. Uh, the president did allow Newsmax only inside to ask a quick question of him, happy to oblige, but it was only us uh, that were allowed inside to talk to the president as he makes his way again. Uh, this on the heels of the 20-year uh, anniversary of the worst terror attack that we have ever seen on American soil, claiming almost 3,000 lives. Among them, uh, first responders, of course, 343 firefighters, uh, 37 police officers, also those of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, 23 police officers of the NYPD. That is why it is so important to these men and women today, specifically for 45 to make that appearance as he has. He continues to make his way out. This place is heavily guarded, I'll tell you that. No one allowed inside. Uh, this, if you talk about a safe spot, 
this would be it. Uh, again, President Trump just wrapping up remarks uh, inside the uh, 51st Precinct here in Midtown East. Uh, and what he did, he walked in and he fielded various questions, which you may have seen on, on the network and, in, and on social media. And he allowed everyone to ask different questions. And where we are today, though it's a somber day, a solemn day, the president reminds us that we cannot forget exactly what brought us over to Afghanistan and where we are today as a nation as far as our safety, our national security as well. These are some of the things uh, that he touched on. You just watched Newsman. So, it's funny that he said only Newsmax, <laughs> and it's great. And, and all of a sudden we, we flee, and, and all of a sudden we, we... Here's some of the stuff that he remarked on. Flee Afghanistan. You know, that's why I'm saying what timing, what horrible timing, the 20th anniversary... And I watched the speeches, and not one person spoke about the fact that three days ago we fled Afghanistan and we left Americans behind, and others too. And we left $85 billion worth of the best equipment ever made. Much of it that I bought, they left it behind. Why would they leave it behind? We could have stayed there for one month or three years. They weren't going to be able to do anything, but they left. And when they left, there was a vacuum. And then they came in and filled the vacuum. And whoever thought of this, a five-year-old would have said the military goes out last. And that's what they wanted. They couldn't believe they were leaving. So it was gross incompetence. And I hate to talk about it on this day, but people are saying, why aren't they talking about what the hell we did? So I think you're going to be very happy. Mr. President? Yes, please. Right, yeah. How are you? It's a really honor to... Uh, Thank you. My honor. Nice speaking on behalf of the guy. Huh? You know, my, my family. Uh, I got a question for you. Yes. Uh... Yes. If, you know, elected again, you know, which, you know, we strongly hope that, you know, you are, would you strongly consider uh, having um, days of recognition for the outstanding service of the men and women police departments around the country? I would hope that I speak on behalf of, you know, the departments uh, in the entire country. If you would strongly consider having more recognition for the outstanding achievements and accomplishments of police officers. You know, I think it's an incredible question. And you won't believe this. I've never been asked that question before, and it should be. Well, it's the first time ever. It is the first time. <laughs> and no, think of it. That's a great question. And yet, I've answered every question from her and from him, from everybody. So I guess my and question, not the ruling. I like the seven. idea. Yes, I so think they deserve it. Remember, there's two types of considers in this world. There's consider, right. and there's strongly consider. So I'm respectfully asking you to strongly consider. That. You have a deal. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't it amazing that nobody's ever? When I say question nobody's ever brought that up and when i see what they do and things that take place you know i was responsible for getting a lot of money billions of dollars for the victims you remember the signing i had with the police department the fire department and many others that was on my watch i saw they they were talking about it today but they had nothing to do with it i had nobody mentioned it. i have to mention it myself but you know uh we had some of the oh i think one or two of the people right from your precinct were there but we had a great ceremony in the Rose Garden, and uh, it was a massive amount of money for the victims and the families, people that died in the World Trade Center. I mean, it's hard to believe, right? But we, they were trying to get that for a long time, long before I was there, and I got it. And today they were talking about it, and nobody mentioned my name, and that's okay, because that's the way it is. You know, the other side was trying to take credit for it. They had nothing to do with it. 
So I just, uh, I think that's a really good point, and I like it. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Great question. Thank you. It's a rare question that I haven't heard before, and that's one that I should have been hearing a lot. Thank you so much. Great question. Yes, please. Uh, no question, Mr. President. Just want to say thank you for coming down here. We all appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Uh, you don't get enough credit. And you know the crime in New York, and you look at these cities, Chicago. Uh, I met with, I, I had a very strong conversation with Abdul. It's Abdul Ghani Karaka from, from uh, the Taliban. And I will tell you, we told him, and this is what you could do very easily in New York, we told him, any American soldier, any American is killed, you're going to be hit harder than any country has ever been hit. And he understood that. We had a very good conversation. After that, it was a much easier conversation. And so we didn't lose one soldier in 18 months. And yet you look at these cities, and that's in Afghanistan. And yet you look at these cities where 88 people were shot in Chicago over a week. 88 people were shot. And... Many people died, and the same thing here. And if they'd let you do your job, you could do this job very quickly. You do it very quickly. If they let you do this job, if they said, okay, it's time, we can't have this. We lost no soldier in Afghanistan for 18 months. Think of that, because of me, because of what I said to them. They respected it, nor would they have come in and do what they did. They wouldn't have even come close. And every time they did, we hit them with the planes. They didn't like our planes. Now they have our planes. How about that? <laughs> now they have the planes that we were using to hit them. Why the hell didn't we fly them out? Would have taken, send 200 pilots, fly them all out. It's a horrible thing that took place. A horrible, horrible thing. It's an embarrassment. And the likes of which our country has never been embarrassed before. We've never had anything like this happen. It looked like we retreated. It looked like we gave up. Like they used the word surrender. And we didn't surrender. Our people didn't surrender. And our soldiers sure as hell didn't surrender. And you never surrendered. You could straighten out this city. If you had the proper leadership, you could straighten out this city in one week. And the incredible thing about you, you know who the bad guys are. Because you see them and you get taunted by them. I know what happens. They taunt you. And you're not allowed to do anything. You have to sit back and take it. Now, in the old days, when I was growing up in Brooklyn and Queens, they didn't have to take that. They didn't. Have, they were tough guys, but no tougher than you. The, the advantage you have is you know who the bad ones are. And you could stop it so fast if they'd let you, but they don't want to do that. And so you have these crime statistics that are crazy. I mean, the only one they go after is uh, Republicans or me. They go after me. The prosecutors go after me. Did he do a deal 20 years ago? It's a disgrace. But if you murder somebody, no problem. And then the no-cash bail has to be killing you guys. We have the no-cash bail. It's a, it's a disaster. If they would let you do your job with guys like this, if they would let you do your job, you would have it cleaned up. And don't nod, because if you do nod, you'll get in trouble, okay? I want you to so just stand and just be perfect. Don't nod. But if they let you do your job, you wouldn't have crime in New York. You wouldn't have crime in New York. So uh, I just want to thank you very much. Uh, you are incredible people. Uh, I want to thank you for that endorsement. That, that endorsement meant so much. Now, in all fairness, I don't think any police department anywhere endorsed the other guy. I think I got 90. I must have gotten close to 100% of the vote. 
I think close to 100%. There are a couple of strays everywhere. We're trying to figure out who they are, right? But we got the military. We did great with the military. We did incredible with police and fire. So I just want to thank you all. Yes, please. Uh, one more question, Mr. President. If you decide not to run for president, if you decide not to, would you consider running for mayor of New York City? Well, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I would love that. I tell you, we could straighten it. I'd say, fellas, good luck. Go to town. <laughs> They'd be announcing in one week, there's no crime in this. There's no crime. What the hell happened? I said, that was the easiest job I've ever... If this is, that would be such an easy job. But I appreciate that question. That's cool. If I give you even a positive, a little like jokingly, they'll say, Trump's running for mayor. <laughs> now, if they let you do your job, we're going to be very proud again. But it's very embarrassing for our city. It's hurting our city very badly. They talk about it all over the world, the crime. When you have uh, Antifa running down the streets and burning down your buildings and all of this, and they don't do anything about it. They can't, they can't go on for much longer. Can't. You are incredible men and women, and thank you all very much. I'm with you all the way, and uh, to answer your question, uh, the answer is yes. Thank you very okay? much. Good luck, everybody. Thank, thank you. you. You just watched Newsmax. How about that? He went to the precinct. Next, he went to the fire department. This is him by the fire department. It's way up. 
If I say it, if it's a quarter of a point off, they'll say Trump misrepresented. Uh, but the fake news. But I just want to thank you all. I passed this place many times, as you know, many times. And I gave you every ounce of my support. You know, we approved. I was the one. We approved in my administration the massive amount of money to take care of people affected by the World Trade Center catastrophe, families and everything else, and that was done by me. I saw they were all talking about it today. They were all taking credit, but they had nothing to do with it. I had. <laughs> that was my idea. We signed it. In fact, a couple of you were there. We signed it on the lawn of the Rose Garden. It was great. It was a great day. But I just want to thank everybody. You're incredible people. You're beautiful people. There's nobody like you, and uh, nobody has your guts. I, I know all about that building, I was down there right after, and it, it was a, it was a tragedy. And to think that knowing the one building came down, and you still had people going from fire, people going up the other building, I, I assume just knowing what was going to happen, uh, the bravest people, and we want to thank you. You're incredible, and we really uh, this day is very interesting because they're trying to do speeches without mentioning what happened over the last two weeks. And it's a very hard thing to do, and I think in certain ways they shouldn't be doing that, because what they did in the last two weeks with that surrender, or whatever you call it, was a disgrace. There was no reason. We had them totally locked down. They couldn't have done a thing. We could have stayed there for 10 years if we wanted. They couldn't have done a damn thing. We ran. Uh, I think he wanted to run because he wanted to look good today. And I wanted that ended more than anybody, and for a longer period of time, we should have never been there, frankly. We should have never gotten into that quicksand. Trillions of dollars, millions of lives if you look at both sides. But when you get out, you have to get out with honor, dignity, strength, and victory. We would have had victory. And he turned victory into a total embarrassment. I say the most embarrassing moment in the history of our country. And then we gave $85 billion worth of equipment. It's the most that I bought. You know, no, think about it. You know, those Apache helicopters, they're the greatest weapon. Uh, Apaches, they have more than any other nation but us now. And uh, the Blackhawks and everything else. It's not, it's not even believable. You know, we kept them at bay because of the air. And now they have what we had for the air. You know, they, our jets, our helicopters, there's nothing they could do. And any time they did, they had a problem. And when I spoke to Abdul, I said, Abdul, if you kill any American soldier or any American, you keep fighting your civil war, you've been fighting them forever. But you kill any American, you kill any American soldier, we're going to hit you harder than any country has ever been hit. And I said it, and I said it clear, I said it loud, and he understood that. He said, I understand. He said some other things too, by the way. <laughs> he, said, he said, they're tough. He said, I understand. And from that day on, we didn't have one soldier killed. And we could have taken two, three years to get out, or we could have been out in one month. Nobody would have been killed, and we would have had 100% of our equipment. And to see what happened, and then to come and watch these the speeches. I watched a lot of the speeches, and they talk, we went in and we fought the enemy, we fought the enemy, and it's all true. But they didn't say what happened in the last week. We surrendered. And we can't let that happen. Because that's a stain on our country that's worse than any stain we've ever had before. It's an embarrassment. Biden didn't even speak today. He went to all three places. 
and he didn't speak. I wonder why. I wonder why he didn't speak. Now think of it. He went. No telephone. He went. He went to three places. He went to the Pentagon. Went to Pennsylvania. He came here. And he didn't speak. Ah, <laughs> uh, what a shame. The election was rigged, and that's what we got Listen, I want to thank everybody. Uh, you are incredible people. We love you. We always will. And a lot of things interesting happening. Uh, they are, you know, they're only good at doing bad things, in my opinion. If they fought the war the way they fought the election... Where they stole it. I don't even say stole it. They rigged it. Yes. We would have had, this war would have been over 20 years ago. We, you wouldn't have had a war. You would have had the thing, they would have been apologizing 20 years ago. But they didn't do that. They don't do that. They only do bad stuff. You wonder whether or not they love our country. I love you. Thank you all very much. That was incredible. Sounds incredible. Firefighters. Sounds incredible. Donald Trump at the spoke at the firefighters, spoke at the um at the police. It's amazing. He stops over. And Biden didn't speak at all. But he did. Um before. When he returned here. Eddie. Listen to this. On this nine eleven, like every nine eleven. I'm thinking about my friend Davis, who I grew up with in Delaware. On this day, 20 years ago, he and his family had just passed the first year without their youngest of three sons, Teddy, who died in a boating accident at age 15. And his eldest son, Davis Jr., was just six days into the new job on the 104th floor of the South Tower at the World Trade Center. Davis went straight to ground zero, search for his son. He searched deep into the last ending of hope, as he put it. A few days later, I spoke with Davis and talked to his fathers who know. I was on my way to speak to the students at the University of Delaware about what to make of the new world we were in. He told me to tell people, quote, don't be afraid. He said, tell them, don't be afraid. The absolute courage it took after two unimaginable losses is extraordinary. Yet the most ordinary of American things, to know life can be unfair and uncertain, a cruel twist of accident or deliberate act of evil, but even in darkness, to still be the light. To the families of the 2,977 people from more than 90 nations, Killed on September 11, 2001, in New York City, Arlington, Virginia, and Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and the thousand more who were injured. America and the world commemorate you and your loved ones, the pieces of your soul. We honor all those who risked and gave their lives in the minutes, hours, months, and years afterwards. The firefighters, police officers. EMTs and construction workers and doctors and nurses, faith leaders, service members, veterans, and all of the everyday people who gave their all to rescue, recover, and rebuild. 
but it's so hard, whether it's the first year or the 20th. Children have grown up without parents. Parents have suffered without children. Husbands and wives have had to find ways forward without their partners in their life with them. Brothers and sisters, uncles and aunts, loved ones and friends have had to celebrate birthdays and milestones with a hole in their heart. No matter how much time has passed, these commemorations bring everything painfully back, as if you just got the news a few seconds ago. And so on this day, Jill and I hold you close in our hearts and send you our love. There are people around the world that you'll never know who are suffering through their own losses, who see you, your courage. Your courage gives them courage that they, too, can get up and keep going. We hope that 20 years later, the memory of your beloved brings a smile to your lips, even while still bringing a tear to your eye. The days that followed September 11, 2001, we saw heroism everywhere, in places expected and unexpected. We also saw something all too rare, a true sense of national unity, unity and resilience, the capacity to recover and repair in the face of trauma, unity and service, the 9-11 generation stepping up to serve and protect in the face of terror, to get those terrorists who were responsible, to show everyone seeking to do harm to America that we will hunt you down and we will make you pay. That will never stop. Today, tomorrow, ever, from protecting America. Yet we also witness the darker forces of human nature. Fear and anger, resentment and violence against Muslim Americans, true and faithful followers of a peaceful religion. We saw a national unity bend. We learned that unity is the one thing that must never break. Unity is what makes us who we are. America at its best. To me, that's the central lesson of September 11th is that at our most vulnerable in the push and pull of all that makes us human in the battle for the soul of America unity is our greatest strength unity doesn't mean we have to believe the same thing we must have a fundamental respect and faith in each other and in this nation we are unique in the history of the world because we're the only nation based on an idea, an idea that everyone is created equal and should be treated equally throughout their lives. That is the task before us, to once again lead not just by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. And I know we can, for I know hope is not simply an expectation. Hope is a conviction. Hope allows us to act with courage, To act and honor those we lost 20 years ago and those who have given their whole souls to the cause of this nation every day since. To act and build a future, not a reactionary one or one based on fear, but a future of promise, strength, and grace worthy of their dreams and sacrifice. And to act and keep the faith that while life is fragile, it is truly something wonderful. We find strength in its broken places, as Hemingway wrote. We find light in the darkness. We find purpose to repair, renew, and rebuild. And as my friend told me that September 20 years ago, we must not be afraid. May God bless you all.
May God bless the lives lost since September 11, 2001, and their loved ones that were left behind. May God protect our troops. Sounds really stupid. More stupid than Trump. Trump did amazing, but this this is worse. I am suing my about this COVID situation because as I said I was just in Texas and in Texas you know what a couple this is Dave Rubin people were wearing masks and God bless them it's your choice to put anything on your face if you'd like to and it's your choice to be injected with anything if you'd like to I'm cool with that that's just fine you just can't tell me what to do with my body which used to be a thing that the lefties would say uh, but there's all sorts of crazy things happening uh, now related to COVID. First, I want to show you, um, well, on a more somber note for just a moment, obviously this past weekend, Saturday, was uh, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, as many of you know, I wrote about it in my book, and I've talked about it a few times here. I was in New York City uh, during 9-11. Uh, I did a video that we posted on Locals just about what it was like to be in New York City at the time, and uh, and obviously it's a, a solemn time, and you know it's, it's hard to imagine that 20 years later sort of here's where America's at after that horrific thing. Uh, the reason I'm mentioning 9-11 related to COVID is that they, at one of the memorials, they had Obama there, and they had Biden, and, and Clinton, Bill Clinton looks like death walking right now, by the way. <laughs> um, but anyway, here's Joe Biden. I want you to just see what he does here. If you don't think that masks and all of this nonsense is nonsense, take a look at this video. Watch what he does related to he has the mask, takes off. Well, watch it. Here they take it off. Um, they they have the mask. You're a mutt for what you did to Afghanistan. Terrible, terrible. Don't sniff them. Terrible. They take it down. Biden took the mask down. reason that that video went viral was not because of what happened with the mask. It was because of the people booing him and the guy that yelled, don't, don't sniff him, meaning Biden walked with the mask. He has the mask on. Then when he gets close to the people to shake their hands, what does he do? He takes the mask down. He touches the person, right? He shakes a hand. And then what's the thing? Then he, he kisses his own hand. Can we just come on? Now, is that what we're doing? 
Which one? Oh, okay. So let's let's do a little bit more on uh, Biden. Um. So this is great. It was great. Um. Yeah. It's great. All right. Next, George Bush addresses Shanksville. Here, my crescent tools. and I are honored. Everyone knows about the uh, Bush family. They're a bunch of rhinos. Here we go. Thank you very much. Laura and I are honored to be with you. Madam Vice President, Vice President Cheney. Cheney. He said Cheney. What the heck? Wow. Governor Wolf, Secretary Holland, and distinguished guests. 20 years ago, we all... found in different ways, in different places, but all at the same moment, that our lives would be changed forever. The world was loud with carnage and sirens, and then quiet with missing voices that would never be heard again. These lives remain precious to our country, and infinitely precious to many of you. Today we remember your loss, we share your sorrow, and we honor the men and women you have loved so long and so well. For those too young to recall that clear September day, it is hard to describe the mix of feelings we experienced. There was horror at the scale, there was horror at the scale of destruction and awe at the bravery and kindness that rose to meet it. There was shock at the audacity, audacity of evil and gratitude for the heroism and decency that opposed it. In the sacrifice of the first responders, in the mutual aid of strangers, in the solidarity of grief and grace, the actions of an enemy revealed the spirit of a people. And we were proud of our wounded nation. In these memories, the passengers and crew of Flight 93 must always have an honored place. Here, the intended targets became the instruments of rescue. And many who are now alive owe a vast, unconscious debt to the defiance displayed in the skies above this field. It would be a mistake to idealize the experience of those terrible events. All that many people could initially see was the brute randomness of death. All that many could feel was unearned suffering. All that many could hear was God's terrible silence. There are many who still struggle with a lonely pain that cuts deep within. In those fateful hours, we learned other lessons as well. We saw that Americans were vulnerable, but not fragile. That they possess a core of strength that survives the worst that life can bring. We learned that bravery is more common than we imagined, emerging with sudden splendor in the face of death.
we vividly felt how every hour with our loved ones was a temporary and holy gift. And we found that even the longest days end. Many of us have tried to make spiritual sense of these events. There is no simple explanation for the mix of providence and human will that sets the direction of our lives. But comfort can come from a different sort of knowledge. After wandering long and lost in the dark, many have found they were actually walking step by step toward grace. As a nation, our adjustments have been profound. Many Americans struggled to understand why an enemy would hate us with such zeal. The security measures incorporated into our lives are both sources of comfort and reminders of our vulnerability. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdain for pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. After 9-11, Millions of brave Americans stepped forward and volunteered to serve in the armed forces. The military measures taken over the last 20 years to pursue dangers at their source have led to debate. But one thing is certain. We owe an assurance to all who have fought our nation's most recent battles. Let me speak directly to veterans and people in uniform. The cause you pursued at the call of duty is the noblest America has to offer. You have shielded your fellow citizens from danger. You have defended the beliefs of your country and advanced the rights of the downtrodden. You have been the face of hope and mercy in dark places. You have been a force for good in the world. Nothing that has followed, nothing can tarnish your honor or diminish your accomplishments. To you and to the honored dead, our country is forever grateful. In the weeks and months following the 9-11 attacks, I was proud to lead an amazing, resilient, united people. When it comes to the unity of America, those days seem distant from our own. Malign force seems at work in our common life that turns every disagreement into an argument and every argument into a clash of cultures. So much of our politics has become a naked appeal to anger, fear, and resentment. That leaves us worried about our nation and our future together. I come without explanations or solutions. I can only tell you what I've seen. On America's day of trial and grief, I saw millions of people instinctively grab for a neighbor's hand and rally to the cause of one another. That is the America I know.
at a time when religious bigotry might have flowed freely. I saw Americans reject prejudice and embrace people of Muslim faith. That is the nation I know. At a time when nativism could have stirred hatred and violence against people perceived as outsiders, I saw Americans reaffirm their welcome to immigrants and refugees. That is the nation I know. At a time when some viewed the rising generation as individualistic and decadent, I saw young people embrace an ethic of service and rise to selfless action. That is the nation I know. This is not mere nostalgia. It is the truest version of ourselves. It is what we have been and what we can be again. 20 years ago, terrorists chose a random group of Americans on a routine flight to be collateral damage in a spectacular act of terror. The 33 passengers and seven crew of Flight 93 could have been any group of citizens selected by fate. In a sense, they stood in for us all. The terrorists soon discovered that a random group of Americans is an exceptional group of people facing an impossible circumstance. They comforted their loved ones by phone, braced each other for action, and defeated the designs of evil. These Americans were brave, strong, and united in ways that shocked the terrorists, which should not surprise any of us. This is the nation we know. And whenever we need hope and inspiration, we can look to the skies and remember. God bless. You just watched Newsmax TV, America's fastest growing cable news channel now and more. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? Wow. Sounds terrible. All right. Next. Of some of this labor market disruption where people are feeling more comfortable. Um, I don't know where's this state, but listen to this. It seems like it's in South Dakota college um, football team. They're saying bleep Joe Biden. And it's the second time they uh, they did this. And it's not the first. And it's not going to be the last, they say. Um, because they keep on telling, um, telling everyone. Um, that it's not the last. So, yep, it is. It's not going to be the last.
Alright, next. Grand Canyon University is ranked in the top 20 best college campuses in America. Speaking of uh, uh, rules and things that are ineptitude, we must go to YAS in, uh, in the ACT and in, in the border of New South Wales. They're now in a step three-day lockdown on the front of the Canberra Times tomorrow. Three days of freedom, but now YAS is back in lockdown. The uh, the council areas of Canberra's border will go up from today and go back into a lockdown just days after being granted a reprieve by the New South Wales government. This on top of another front-page story on there where uh, businesses are being warned that they will be shut down if they're not they're founding to not comply, considering that the ACT's COVID figures are not budging, they're being quite stubborn, and apparently businesses are now dobbing on each other. So this is probably the most Canberran story I've ever heard of, Um, but what do you make of that, businesses sort of dobbing in on each other if they're not complying to the COVID lockdown? How about that Dylan Orcott win? What great news we woke up to this morning. I know, it's just the kind of uplifting news we need in a lockdown city like Melbourne right now. You wake up every day with the same monotonous crap. Um, But uh, we've had a wonderful (laughs) year sporting-wise, Australia. Um, You look at our strong showing at the Olympics, a strong showing at the Paralympics, thanks uh, in no small part to Alcott again. Um, And he's Mm. gone and become the only man ever uh, to win the Grand Slam and uh, a gold at the Paralympics, which is supposedly called a golden slam. Uh, but it, it is, he is a champion. This bloke is an absolute champion. Yeah. Um, and to be the first Absolutely. man ever to have achieved that in any form of tennis is extraordinary. How's held the line on China? I will say that. Yes, and this is no easy problem. How's held the line on China? I will say that. All right, next. And now, the meeting of the minds, part four. When they see... Next, um, let's speak about this. File this under go woke or go broke or do both. We'll go woke and go broke. It looks like Ben and Jerry's anti-Israel woke war will hurt its bottom line. Arizona will divest all state funds from the hippie ice cream giant because of its boycott of Israeli Settlements. Arizona State Treasurer Kimberly Yee says she won't allow taxpayer cash to go to, quote, anti-Semitic discriminatory efforts against Israel. And she joins us now. Kimberly, thank you for joining us. So we know Ben and Jerry's. They're like wildly liberal and, and they're, you know, they're, they're just awful, awful people. Um, but you're, you're putting your foot down. You're saying there's no money going to Ben and Jerry's because of that anti-Semitism that they are displaying. That's right, Eric, and thank you for having me on your show. Uh, Ben & Jerry's is part of this woke corporation movement that is just not about American values, and they're pushing out Israel as an example. For instance, they indicated just two months ago, Ben & Jerry's said they would move their Israeli manufacturing company and distributor that has been making their ice cream for over 30 years out of Israel and out of the West Bank. This is anti-Semitic. It's discriminatory and it's wrong. And I will not allow Arizona taxpayer dollars to be invested in Unilever, their parent company, with these types of values. In fact, they said that Israel has values that are inconsistent with their policies. 
Israel, as you know, has been a friend to the United States. And so we stand with Israel in this move. It's very important to note that Arizona has had a law on the books since 2016 when I served in the Arizona legislature that says that any state entity cannot do business with companies that boycott Israel. So we are just following the law. And I let Unilever know, Ben and Jerry's parent company, that they should tell Ben and Jerry's to change its course or face the consequences. They chose the latter. And so we are removing $143 million out of our investments in Ben & Jerry's. It's amazing that they're willing to literally cut out half their, half their potential customer base, and I'm glad Arizona is doing it. I don't know why the other 49 states aren't doing the same thing. If you're going to boycott Israel, then we're not going to send your, our money to, to you. I hope other people understand that as well. You know, the odd thing is, if I'm not mistaken, Ben & Jerry's is in, in Vermont, Senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders, Jewish as well. I mean, you would think he would lean into him and say, hey, what's this all about? Why are you boycotting Israel? It's the BDS movement. As you know, it's supporters of Palestine who are uh, encouraging this liberal progressive agenda upon corporations in America. And they are saying they want to erase Israel's economy. And by doing so, they're encouraging corporations, just like Ben and Jerry's, to get their business out of Israel. This is anti-Semitic, and again, it's wrong. Other states should follow Arizona and remove their investments out of Ben and Jerry's and other woke corporations across America. In fact, we went yeah. even further by adding more investments in Israel bonds. We have $30 million in Israel bonds out of the state treasurer's office to continue to support our friends in Israel. Very good. Very good. Kimberly Yee, Treasurer for uh, Arizona, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You just watched Newsmax TV, America's fastest growing cable news channel, now in more than 70 million. If a government agency in the state of Florida uh, forces uh, a vaccine as a condition to employment, that violates Florida law, and you will face... And you will face a $5,000 fine for every single violation. Okay, let's bring in Lieutenant Governor of Florida. Lucky to have her with us, Jeanette Newton. All right, let's speak about... my Republican friends. Let's speak about... Um... This one. Your party, the country needs a big, strong Republican party. Here I say that as a leader in the Democratic Party, but we need a big, strong Republican party. You've done so much for our country. Take pride and take back your party. Don't have it be a cult of personality on the extreme. What? Why is she all of a sudden talking about the Republican Party? Hold on. All right. Let's speak about why she's talking about it. Kevin McCarthy spoke to um, the Democrats this past weekend. Now, Kevin McCarthy, I'm not a big fan of him. Um, Trump caught him, Kevin McCarthy, with speaking with the um, leftist people. Now, Kevin McCarthy 
is a huge rhino. And I am not going to be a big fan if he's the Speaker of House um, next uh, term. If the Republicans win. Now Trump is getting at the rhinos and the so-called swamp. And he, I'm hoping that Ken McCarthy is gone. Because if he has Kevin McCarthy on that list of rhinos, I am going to be real happy. I would add McCarthy to the list because he is a real rhino. And an idiot. He spoke to Nancy Pelosi this weekend and said, we need to help, we need to help the um, Republicans by um, coming together with the Democrats. Now, do we want to? No. In some stuff we do, but not all. We need America to come together and say, um, we need, we need to and say, we believe in America. But that's not America, folks. They're never going to agree on anything. Nothing. We got a breaking news alert that a Latin interior, Latiner, Latiner fly insect is now being spotted in a lot of areas, including southern uh, New Jersey, and including um, all over New Jersey. Potentially damaging insect named spotted Leonard Turner fly is spreading in New Jersey and was also spotted in Lakewood since the publish of LNN that was many readers has contacted um, them and the state authorities are worried the spotted lanterner fly could cause major damage on the Garden State crops and want you to kill them as quickly multiply. So, 13 counties across New Jersey, including Monmouth County, which neighbors the Lakewood area, are currently under quarantine for this potentially damaging insect. Residents in the quarantine area are required to check their vehicles, personal belongings, for a spotted lanterner or fly, or, and or its eggs before traveling outside the zone. Businesses, business eaties, um, route, um, travel and in and out of the free training um this area at the first there were eight new jersey counties under quarantine zone uh, but on august 30th njda additional five counties to the quarantine list to report sighting Call 833 for bad bugs. 833-422-3284. It's a massive bug. 
advise you to um to kill it. It is a massive bug. Alright, next is, let's see, this. 31,000 survivors have applied for federal assistance so far, with FEMA approving $5 million in aid. The maximum grant for homeowners is about $30,000, but the average payout is only around $5,000, and that's likely not going to be enough to cover all of their losses. So local communities are pitching in, rounding up donations to help those in need. Melissa Rose Cooper reports on the efforts underway in hard-hit Manville. It's hard, and I'm trying to do my best that I can, because we lose our car, we have rental car right now, it's really hard. Emotions still raw for Nancy Gonzalez. The mom just moved to Manville in April, and for a while, she felt welcomed and right at home. I see in this community, they're very friendly, they're very close, they're together, and they help a lot. But when Tropical Storm Ida flooded the area, Gonzalez says it turned her whole life upside down. I don't have insurance for flood, but I leave, so I don't know how much the insurance is going to cover. So she's thankful she can stop by Thomas J. Cavan on VFW and get some help. We've already gotten rid of a lot of items. We've probably rotated through this building probably 10 times already of items. So it looks like there's a lot here, but really we're, we're low now. We're depleted. The military veterans poll has set up a relief center for residents impacted by the storm, providing cleaning kits and non-perishable food. This is nothing new to Manville. Manville's flooded several times, but what really makes this flood unique is that a lot of the homeowners are new homeowners. They've never experienced a flood. They have no idea what to do. So we're just trying to make things a little bit easier for them by putting together kits. It's something Diane Polichka says she appreciates having gone through four other floods. She's picking up supplies so she can tend to her home and her mother's house, which were both flooded out. We're used to it, <laughs> but I don't know. It's great, though, that uh, BFW and Red Cross and everybody helps out. Residents that need help are free to come here to pick up anything they need. And for those that can't make it, volunteers will bring it to them. Right now, um, a lot of foundations have uh, caved in on homes. So a lot of homes are in inhabitable at this, at this time. Um, also, you know, the biggest thing is cleaning the mud and everything in their basements. Uh, everything's upside down, turned over, uh, washing machines, dryers, even furnaces uh, were ripped out in some of the homes. Um, so right now it's basically cleaning up the basement and then the first floors so that they can at least get back in the house and begin to live their lives again. Other communities around the state are also giving back. The Palestinian American Community Center in Clifton is collecting donations for families in Passaic County affected by the storm. Mutual aid is really important. All right, next, let's speak about the Mu variant. The latest variant of interest is called Mu, and it's already here in the Garden State. 
Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan reports on what we know about the Mu variant. It does spread faster than other variants, and it does seem to be causing slightly more severe illness. And this is particularly concerning amongst people who are unvaccinated. Epidemiologist Stephanie Silvera says testing shows that COVID's mu strain, named for the Greek alphabet's 12th letter, is in all 50 U.S. states with 16 cases detected in New Jersey. That doesn't sound like a lot, but Jersey does DNA sequencing on only 10% of its COVID cases. The number of cases are probably higher. We're not genotyping everybody who comes in with COVID. Um, It's surveillance testing, so there may be more. That said, right now, the Delta variant seems to still spread far more easily. The Delta variant still dominates in 98% of new infections, but Mu's gaining ground. In Colombia, it's caused 39% of COVID infections, and it's the fifth COVID variant of interest named by the World Health Organization, according to Rutgers Dean Perry Halkidis. When I hear variant of interest, we call Delta variant of interest you know, months and months and months ago, and look what's happened. Mu is beginning to emerge slowly, but surely. It has several mutations that are worrisome, and we're in the laboratory, so it might be able to evade the types of immune protection that we're getting from our current COVID vaccine. Lab studies suggest vaccines show a 77% efficacy rate against Mu. Scientists insist that's still good, but they need a lot more data to assess Mu's actual threat level. Rutgers Dr. Stanley Weiss advises Jersey should revamp its genoming testing policy and move away from the current emphasis on seriously ill COVID cases. That's a mistake in terms of trying to keep in front of this pandemic because we don't have a view as to what next may be coming. Weiss recommends state health experts cast a wider net, especially to look harder for virus variants among breakthrough cases. He points to the rising percentage of Jersey hospital patients who end up in critical care. In mid-July, out of 309 hospitalized COVID patients, almost 18% went to the ICU with about 7.5% on ventilators. This month, out of more than 1,100 hospitalized, 22% went to ICU, with almost 12% on vents. Yes, because of illegal immigrants. Next. Workplaces across Australia have been given the go-ahead to provide jabs on the job. Offices, construction sites and mines could be turned into vaccination hubs for more than 1 million workers. Providers will need to gain accreditation through the federal government's tender process, with the first jabs expected from the start of next month. The New South Wales Premier has issued a warning to the unvaccinated. Don't expect to do everything vaccinated people can do at the 80% target. Wet weather dampened picnic day where fully vaccinated people were able to meet and socialise in outdoor areas for the first time since the beginning of the Greater Sydney lockdown. The New South... version of football is back but they decided today a couple of days after September 11 that at NFL games they will play both the national anthem and the black national anthem that sounds like this lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring ring with the
One official national anthem, but two national anthems played at football games. Left-wing comedian Bill Maher calls it out for what it is. You're taking children and making them hyper-aware of race in a way they wouldn't otherwise be. I mean, I, I saw last night on the football game, uh, Alicia Keys sang Lift Every Voice and Sing, which now I hear is called the Black National Anthem. Now, maybe we should get rid of our national anthem, but I think we should have one national anthem. I think when you go down a road where you're having two different national anthems, colleges sometimes now have, many of them have different graduation ceremonies for black and white, separate dorms. This is what I mean, segregation. You've inverted the idea. We're going back to that under a different name. He has a studio audience and the sound you could hear was the air conditioner from their silence. Couldn't dare, to, couldn't dare agree with what he was saying. He, of course, is now the target of cancellation. So, it's ridiculous what um, the NFL is doing currently. And it's really stupid. What the NFL is doing right now, first was the uh, nail for our, our, our flag and national anthem. Next is, what, what is next? They create their own national anthem. Before you know it, there, there is, there's not going to be any fans at all. Because who the, in the right mind would want to watch football without, without a proper American football? Not political football. So, this year, I'm announcing officially... I will not watch a, f a football game until the Super Bowl. I will look up scores and um, I go for the winning team, proper team, the Buccaneers. I will look up the scores, but as I know, the NFL's woke, and I will not watch a single game this coming year. Same for the um, the NBA, MLB, all these sports teams, sports organizations. It's terrible, folks. It is terrible. As Donald Trump would say, it's terrible what's gone to in their minds. Next, let's go to Israel. The lowest cost master's degree. Moving on. The fourth wave of the coronavirus taking a turn for the worse on Monday as the reproduction rate, known as R, jumped back up to over one after dropping down to 0.95 in recent days. This as Israel heads into the holidays with thousands of infected Israelis attempting to return from abroad undetected. Hannah Rifkin with the details. Rushing to get home between the Hebrew New Year and the Sabbath, thousands of Israelis returning to the country from abroad before Friday night. But a disturbing trend taking shape among those returning from Ukraine. 
The health ministry reporting that of the 17,000 Israelis that returned directly from Uman, 1,400 tested positive for coronavirus. And this in addition to the thousand or so other infections caught by PCR tests at the airport out of about 10,000 other travelers, some of whom also came from Uman but via connecting flights. In fact, upwards of 14% of the 25,000 Israelis who were tested after traveling to Uman tested positive for COVID-19, most of them unvaccinated. Of course, the spike in infection is not entirely unpredicted. Orthodox Jews annually make massive Rosh Hashanah pilgrimages to Uman, where the grave of Hasidic Rabbi Nachman Breslov lies. What's particularly concerning, then, is that a small percentage of negative PCR tests necessary for travel may be forgeries. Health ministry and police officials saying that upon recovery, hundreds may soon have to come and prove that their documents were legitimate, and at least 117 suspects have already been summoned for questioning. Prime Minister Bennett adding that harsh action will be taken against all who violate the law, with possible charges ranging from fraud and forgery to intentional spreading of illness. That said, many tests were performed at Ukrainian stations, where a larger margin for error is expected. Meantime, in hopes of boosting domestic tourism, the health ministry looking into changing up its testing methods by swapping PCR tests for daily rapid antigen tests. And if approved, the change would hopefully reduce congestion at PCR testing centers while maintaining accurate testing protocols. During the Rosh Hashanah holidays last week, many Israelis suffering PCR testing lines for upwards of four hours. But no solutions for funding the antigen tests or making them readily available to hotel guests have yet been found. So nothing has been set in stone. All right. All right. September 25th is um, the next rally in October. Not sure when October, but before that is um, my birthday, September 17th. Um, yeah, 21st birthday. Mark that in your calendars. Um, and then, yeah, we will speak to everybody. Next, let's see, before we announce. Um, no, we will we'll do it on Friday. We'll see on Friday, not for sure. Either Saturday or Sunday. Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, one of those days. Um, and then... We have our holiday of Sukkot, which is going to be on Monday night, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then Thursday is where we can do stuff. And then Friday, Saturday night, and then Sunday. And then uh, Monday is the beginning of another Set of the Sukkot holiday. And then Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, Tuesday. And then Wednesday we're back to normal. Yeah. So have a good week everybody. We'll be back 
Godwin sometime this coming week. Have a great week.